1873, as the vessel crossed the Atlantic Ocean, a grieving father walked with heavy steps down to his cabin where he would pen the words to this hymn. Mr. Spafford, we now pass the place where your four daughters drowned. I'm sorry for your loss. It was with those words ringing in his ears that Horatio would write the words to the chorus. It is well, it is well with my soul. Before the night where Anna Spafford was dragged unconscious from the freezing waters of the Atlantic never to see her daughters again, she and her husband had loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as they made the long, painful journey back to Chicago to begin rebuilding their lives, they had never loved Jesus more sincerely. It is well, it is well. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you open our hearts, you open our ears that we would hear, ask that you would ignite a fire inside of us, a fire of passion as we view your mercies, Father, and we're inspired by those. Amen. Romans 12, therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, Offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do this that you might test and approve God's will and find it good, pleasing and perfect. Paul says, though, as we go on living this transformed life, just don't get too excited because it's going to be amazing, but don't think of yourself more than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment because in Christ, though many, we form one body and each of us belong to all the others. Love must be sincere. We must hate evil and we must love good. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now today we're going to wrap up the series of Love Thy Neighbour, which started with a reminder that loving our neighbours depends and hangs on and grows out of our love for Christ. And we looked at Deuteronomy, what was called the Shema. Now the people of God, Israel, were told to listen really well, hear this and hold on to this. This is a really, really, really important instruction and this is it. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all your strength. What follows this verse is a series of urgings to keep this command in front of your face. We get that this is really important because they're supposed to write it on their doorposts. They're supposed to strap it to their foreheads, write it on the back of their hands, it's supposed to be everywhere. Keep it right in front of your face. Not just that, though. Teach your kids 
teach your kids to teach their kids. And you get the really, really clear sense that, hey, this is really important. This is something we really need to hang on. It then goes on to explain why it's important. Because this this instruction was given to Israel when they were in the desert. They were being shaped as the people of God. They were in the will of God. And there was coming a time where the will of God would actually come about, as in the goal. Um, God's will is always active. But there's a time where it achieves its purpose. They were going to be in the promised land. And it says, when you're living in the houses you didn't build... When you're drinking the wine pressed from the grapes that you didn't plant, when you're experiencing the goodness, the pleasingness, the perfection of God's will, don't forget the only reason you're there is because when you were slaves under the power of one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time, God's mercy brought you out of Egypt through the desert into the promised land. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like Romans 12? Therefore, in view of God's mercy of bringing you out of Egypt, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, in view of God's merciful acts, offer everything you have as a living sacrifice. Now, when we hear the word, therefore... It's a bit of a prompt to go, hey, probably should look back at what he's talking about. This is Romans 12. There's 11 chapters that have come before it. And and where Romans begins, uh, Romans 1, we, we reflect for a moment on the fact that we were in an amazing situation. We were in a very close relationship with God. We, we were connected. Um, it, it, it was amazing. It was perfect. But sin, evil, entered the world. It says towards the end of chapter 1 that God gave those who were choosing evil, over to their evil desires. And it got broken. What was amazing, what was perfect, it got broken. But then we get another 10 chapters of Paul reflecting on the amazing mercies of God. Throughout history, these these events, Abraham, of, of Moses, there's these things that God does to restore, to reconnect, to bring back together. And it reaches its pinnacle when Jesus, in heaven, in the safety of heaven, with all the power in the universe at his fingertips, not suffering, makes the decision that he is going to enter a human body. He's going to become human. He's going to reach down into the suffering of the world. He will suffer with us. He will suffer for us. And we heard in that hymn that it's, it's that suffering, it's that sacrifice that secures the eternal hope for our undeserving souls. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, we should offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, the translation from the Greek to English is a little bit clunky because if you read a whole bunch of different translations, they're going to say different things. And one of the places where that jumps out is when it talks about worship. So we offer our lives as a living sacrifice because this is your reasonable act of worship. It might say a bunch of other things. Some of them say spiritual worship. But the point that Paul is making here is, come on, guys, if you can get your head around 
the amazing reality of God's merciful interaction. The only thing that makes sense, that's the word reasonable, the only thing that could possibly make sense, if we can really grasp that, is that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. It's the only thing that makes sense when you can grasp God's mercy that you choose to worship in a way that offers everything you are as a living sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice can sometimes be a little bit dark. It can, it can bring about feelings of grief, and, 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 and we can think about offering something that will be gone forever. I'm going to sacrifice something. It's, I'm going to give it. It's going to be gone. Um, if we look at the practice of sacrificing, there's death involved. Things are gone in smoke, and they're gone. And look, I think that's probably the attitude we need to come with when we're offering ourselves to God. We need to let go. We need to be prepared for it to be gone. But I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's more beautiful than that. Because Paul talks about transformation. You don't transform something that's gone. To illustrate this, let's go back to Exodus um, 35. God chooses to have his presence dwell among his people. I mean, how beautiful is that? How merciful is that? And they build the best they can, um, the tabernacle, the fancy tent. Um, They did the best job they could with what they had. And that was the thing. They did it with what they had. So people brought their rings and their bracelets. They brought their precious stones the fancy cloths that they were saving for those clothes that they really wanted to make, or I'm not sure what it was for. They, had, they brought the fancy timber that they were going to turn into that really nice piece of furniture once they got to the promised land. They brought all of that as a sacrifice. Not just that. They brought their skills and their time and their effort. They, the people who were worked with cloth, people who worked with stones, people who worked, they brought this and their time. And they brought it as a sacrifice. Now, they didn't stick it in a big pile and burn it and then go, that's for you, Jesus. What they did is they melted the gold down. And what had value to people was transformed in that act of sacrifice into something that had far greater meaning. I guarantee you that there wasn't very many, if any, Israelites who walked past the tabernacle five years later and went, oh, I wish I hadn't had my, donated my ring there. It's, I really liked that ring there. No, they would reach down to their kids and go, Oi, I had this ring and tell the story about how important it was to them. And they're like, I brought that. It was melted down. And you see that gold lampstand there that is being used to worship the God who spoke creation into an existence and brought us out of Egypt and is taking us to the promised land. That thing that was special to me means so much more now. It was transformed. And when we bring ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, we get transformed. Now, we're doing a series on love thy neighbor, so what's all this talk about sacrifice about? Okay, good point, fair point. If we move on and we talk about this living a transformed life, the way Paul's explain, Paul explains it is he goes through a list of spiritual gifts. And he gives us a bit of a warning. It's going to be amazing, right? But remember, it was God's mercy who brought you to the point where you were willing to offer yourself 
when he transformed you, when he gifted you spiritually, that was his powerful work again. So stay humble. And he gives us the prompt to remember that we each belong to each other. In the series, we also looked at when Jesus was challenged by lawyers and religious people. And what they did is they they wanted to trip Jesus up, so they said, what do you reckon the most important law is? We've got hundreds of them, right? Why don't you tell me which one is the most important? And they were all been ready with these arguments of how to go, see, this bloke doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a heretic, let's burn him. What Jesus did is he turned it back on him and he goes, you know what, fellas, nice try. I'm going to go one better. You want me to pick the best one? What I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the whole thing in one statement. And it's a two-sided statement because first he refers us back to this instruction. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then he makes the connection. He says the other ones like it. They belong together. Love others as yourself. So as we bring our lives, our will, our resources, our energies, our time, and we put it on the altar and we say, God, it's yours now. I don't own it anymore. It's all yours. God doesn't just burn it up and make it all go. He transforms it, makes it into something amazing. And as we read the list of spiritual gifts that Paul gives us, they're things like leadership, service, mercy, prophecy, You don't do that on your own. You don't do that sitting at home. You do that when you're in a community of people that love Jesus. Prophecy is when God speaks through someone to a group of people. God could heal us, absolutely, but how often is it more God moves us to go and pray for someone else they discover healing? See, When we love God, we offer our lives as a sacrifice. The transformation that happens has this inseparable component of it that involves loving others. We get another bit of a warning. So the first warning is, don't get too proud of yourself. The second one is, it's going to be hard. Love must be sincere. Now, sincerity is the absence of hypocrisy. When someone says they're going to do something, they do it. It's wholeheartedness as well. We're going to do something. I don't love you as long as. I'm not going to love you if you do this. I'm going to love you uh, until. That's not sincere. Sincere is, I love you. Sincerity is a couple who have donated their whole lives to the service of God. These guys weren't new Christians. This wasn't their moment of conversion. In that song we heard before, they'd lived a life of sacrifice already. And in the greatest moment of loss, the greatest moment of sincerity shines. It is well with my soul. Now, this word of evil isn't just talking about bad behavior. Yes, we should hate bad behavior. There's a, there's a sense in this word that it also encompasses the inevitable suffering, turmoil, and strife that results from the presence of evil in the world. Now, we're told where to hate what is evil and where to love, or actually to cling 
cling to what is good. And isn't that so important, to have that imagery of clinging to what is good? Because when you're in a community of people, you're going to come across things that hurt. You're going to come across things like betrayal. You're going, people are going to say things that offend you, and they're going to press those buttons that really, really hurt. And it's in those moments, that's why the language of cling, because isn't it, doesn't that capture what we've got to do? We feel so hurt, and what we want to do is we want to either get back or run away or whatever it is, but we're supposed to hate the evil of isolation, hate the evil of betrayal, hate the evil of separation, but cling to good. So we respond with compassion, with love. Yes, it still hurts. When people offend us, yes, it hurts. But we respond with good because good will overcome evil. As we were drawing to the close of the series, we were reminded that there are, there are barriers as we work towards overcoming evil. Yes, it's hard. There are things that say, so the, the hurt that we can carry can sometimes be so big. Sometimes the barrier to loving, to overcoming evil with good is distance or a challenge. You guys are heading to the other side of the world. There's like a thousand barriers you guys have overcome. Distance, separation from family, gathering the support to make sure that it just works. There's so many barriers as we set out to overcome evil with good when we set out to love our neighbours. And when we face those barriers, we come back to God. Because we were reminded in the series too, keep it simple. There's not always a complicated process we need to come over, come through. Just get on your knees. When you're standing on the banks of the river of the barrier that's holding you from the people on the other side that need to be loved, get on your knees and pray. Because we heard amazing testimonies of how dropping to our knees in prayer and asking for help resulted in real life change, doors opening, bridges being built. Let's return to the Spafford story. Because out of the sea billows of this couple's sorrows shines an amazing testimony of sincere love. You see, of the six verses that Horatio writes in It Is Well With My Soul, four of them focus on Christ's mercy. The fact that his death secured the eternal hope for our undeserving souls. You see, it was at the backdrop of the profound grasping of that merciful action of God that this couple sacrificed everything they had. Horatio was a wealthy lawyer, successful lawyer. The family had lots of real estate. And they sold everything they had, and God transformed it into something far more meaningful. I'm not going to retell the whole story, but if you're interested, go and look into it. We don't have time for the whole story now. But what is amazing is they taught their kids to do the same. 
And on Christmas Eve in 1925, Bertha Spafford, who was living in Jerusalem at the time, was walking to Bethlehem. How cool is this? I'd love to do this one day. She was walking to Bethlehem to sing Christmas carols, to celebrate the humble birth of Jesus in a barn to a family desperate for shelter. But as they were walking to, the, to Bethlehem, they were interrupted by a Bedouin family. These people had traveled through the desert. A man, his wife, and an infant child. And they'd been turned away from the hospitals. They'd been turned away from places. And here was another family desperate for shelter. So Bertha and her family sacrificed that special evening of Christmas and took this family in. Now, what was born on Christmas Day in 1925 is still alive today because that moment gave birth to the Spafford Children's Centre. It still goes in Jerusalem today. It provides emotional and psychological support to children and women who are suffering the evils of war, of exclusion, of isolation. And you see, it's still the grandchildren of Horatio and Anna that run this centre that is bridging the barriers to overcome evil with good. And as the music team comes up, I believe that God wants us to pray together. A nice simple act. And I believe there's two things. And the first one, I believe it's related to grasping the immense, profound reality of God's merciful act. You two guys, obviously gripped by that, have given your lives and you're heading to the other side of the world. And we honor that as a church. And this morning as we reflect on that, as we think about the mercies of God, what's our response like? Is it like, hmm, that's pretty cool? Are we happy with that? Or do we want more? When the thought that God in heaven became man, suffered, died, so that we could actually have our relationship with God restored, does that move us to desire to offer our lives as a living sacrifice? Now, if we're honest with ourselves and say this morning, well, that's probably not me, but I would like it to be, would you have the courage to put your hand up and say, yes, I want to actually grasp the realities of God's mercies more than I have it now? So if that's you this morning, would you put your hand up and allow people to come and pray for you? If you see a hand, can we have at least two or three people gather around and pray? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we draw towards Christmas and we reflect on the incredible mercies that you have delivered throughout history and the pinnacle of which is the gift of your Son for our salvation, would you light that spark inside of us so that we go into the week excited, moved and passionate.
And secondly, there's often barriers that hold us back. Now, in a church this size, I guarantee you that there's more than one person in the room who's in pain, in so much pain, that they don't know how they can reach out and love someone else. Maybe you've sensed a call on your life. You feel that God's pulling you towards something and you're not sure you've got the strength to do it. Whatever it is this morning, if that's you, would you have the courage to put your hand up and invite people to come and pray for you to help bridge that barrier to moving forward, to love, to act on that command, to love your neighbor? So if that's you this morning, would you put your hand up so we can address these barriers that are holding us back from loving each other? Can we make, just look around, can we please make sure that everyone's got at least one or two people praying for them? Thank you. Heavenly Father, please help us love sincerely. When we're confronted with the barriers to overcoming those hurdles and we want to overcome evil that we see with good. Give us the strength, Father. Help us build those bridges to overcome those barriers. In your powerful name we pray.